If you have your Bibles, uh, I would ask you to open up to the epistle of First Peter. Uh, we are just a, two weeks ago. We started our study in First Peter, and we are working our way through this book. And it is uh, interesting that we land here this morning talking about uh, various types of trials, and we have some applicable um, material for ourselves this morning. As we open up this book and as we look at this letter uh, that Peter wrote to this church or to these people that are scattered and um, all around Asia Minor, one of the things that we're deeply convinced of, one of the things I'm fully convinced of, that not only for the people that Peter was writing to, but for us as well, that we are deeply loved by God. We are deeply and personally loved by by God, for all those who have been born again, God loves us with a love that is beyond our wildest um, dreams, beyond our, He has plans and hopes for us that are beyond our wildest expectations. We are loved by the Almighty God of the universe, and we are to take courage and comfort and hope in that this morning. As I stated just a moment ago, and as we looked at the past two weeks that Peter is writing to an audience of, of people who have been removed from their homeland and they're scattered uh, throughout a, a land that is not their home in which they know uh, very little about. They are aliens. They are exiles. Uh, they're without a home. They're without a lot of their resources. They're without a lot of their comforts. And they're without their earthly home. And as Peter is writing to these people, he tells them, he writes to them, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise is due Him. Isn't this interesting that he would write this to these people who were down and out? Now last week, last week we looked at these verses and uh, we looked starting in verse 3. And in reality, uh, in, the, in the text, verse 3 through 12 is all one sentence in the Greek text. But I think it's right and okay to chop this up into three sections and to look at um, what Peter is saying. And last week as we looked at verses 3 through 5, what we saw is, is listen, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who God, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God. So we see that God has caused us to be born again. God is um, protecting us through His power for this inheritance. And, And this week as we open up our text, and as you heard Gary read our text this morning, last week it was God, 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 This week as you read, notice this, in this, you greatly rejoice. Even though for a little while it's necessary, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible 
and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. So last week we saw this, these great and mighty and wonderful truths about what God has done and what God will do. He's caused us to be born again. There is an inheritance that He is protecting us for in the future when we see Him face to face. And this week we're going to see our response is that we, we rejoice. Clearly the main theme of this text this morning is that we are to rejoice and we are to have great joy. And so they and you may ask this morning, what is it that we have to rejoice about? What did this original audience that Peter wrote to have to rejoice about? Notice the wording. Notice the wording. As Gary said, as he read, in this you greatly rejoice. Now, I do think when it says in this, that it is referring back to the promises that we saw in verses 3 through 5. So so in all of these promises, that is enough for us to greatly rejoice. But notice that not too far into this verse, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now. Even though now. So even though now you are to greatly rejoice, even though now you, people who are spread all throughout Asia Minor, are experiencing trials. And what we're going to see this morning is how a believer in the midst of trials can now rejoice. Now, one of the things I want to point out to you that's interesting to me is that this word, rejoice, is is only used in the New Testament. Um, it's used uh, always in this context of having joy for what God has done or what He will do. So keep that in your mind as we are looking at this word and looking at how we are to rejoice. Now the first thing I want you to see, I want to look at the text and I want us to see um, how Peter describes these trials. And one of the things that I love I love looking at how biblical writers, particularly Paul, for example, and and Peter and James, how they describe trials and tribulation in a believer's life. And so I want us to to, to dig in and look here this morning at how these trials are described. So as as we dig into this, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, If necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So notice the first thing that Peter tells us is that even though now for a little while. Now, one of the things that we know is that Peter is not saying to us, hey, these trials that you're going through are going to last for a short time here on earth. That's not promised to us. So what this text is not saying is that if you have enough faith, your trials will go away. What Peter is pointing us to is that when we look at eternity, when we look at what we have laid before us forever with the Lord, that the trials that we are going through right now, he can describe those as for a little while. You you may call to mind 2 Corinthians where Paul says, talking about tribulations, these light momentary afflictions. 
interesting there that Paul can use that language and Peter uses this language. Though we may have a lifetime of trials compared to eternity, they are for a little while. They are light and they are momentary. The second thing that I want you to see is notice that Peter says, uh, you have been distressed. You've been grieved, some of your translations say. Christians go through things. I don't want us to skip over this uh, too hastily. Christians suffer with things. We are not immune to trials and we are not immune to tribulations. One of the greatest um, uh, tragedies that sometimes we have in the church is that we have this opinion that Christians don't go through things or if we admit that we're going through something that sometimes that reflects on us poorly. What Peter is recognizing here and what Peter is saying to these folks that he's writing to is that I see it. I know you are going through things. You are distressed. You are grieved. And God knows this as well. God knows that this is weighing you down. God knows that this is heavy on you and your soul. Lastly, not, not quite lastly, but notice that it says you have been distressed by various trials. Um, I, I, I'm thankful that Peter added this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, various. I think we would have had the temptation if he would have named a trial. We would have had the temptation to say, oh, yeah, no, that particular thing is what he's talking about. I love that he says various because I think we can expand this text to say things like, The coronavirus, (laughs) right? Various things, various trials that we rejoice in these. And lastly, he uses this word trial, which um, denotes not a inner thing, but it denotes that there was something coming from the outside uh, to him. Now, if you're following along in your Bibles, did you notice that I skipped over something? What did I skip over? I can't hear you from home. Just teasing. What did I skip over this morning? If necessary. This is an interesting phrase. And I skipped over it because I wanted to emphasize this. Notice what Peter is saying. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you're distressed by various trials, if necessary. Have you ever read this text and wondered, what does he mean by, if necessary? When we put two phrases together, the picture becomes really clear. If necessary, in verse 6, and then at the beginning of verse 7, so that. We call that a purpose clause. So that. Here is the purpose of what was just said before. So, if necessary... God is going to bring trials in your life so that a huge implication of this text that we have to understand because this is where I think, at least for me and in my life and as I've gone through trials and I've seen other believers go through trials, this is where the action is, is when we begin to understand that our trials and our tribulations in our life 
are not outside of the care and concern of God. In fact, we see that if necessary, God brings trials and tribulations into our life and that He is doing something through them. Okay? This text screams this, and we're going we're gonna to march through and see this. But what I want you to hear me say, first of all, is that I think it's vital for us to get this because this helps us to take heart in the middle of the trial. It comforts us that God is there and that God is with us and that God is doing something. This isn't the only uh, text in the New Testament that talks this way. Let me read you just a couple from Acts 14.22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing what I want you to see what I want you to see and I want you to understand this and get this that if it's necessary it means that something greater and more glorious is going on something greater and more glorious is at stake than the pain and the hardships caused by the suffering. I want, you to, I want to say that again because I want you to understand what Peter is telling us. Is that if this is necessary, it means that the trials are producing something greater and more glorious. Greater and more glorious than the pain and the hardships caused by the suffering. In other words, it's worth it. Now, I don't, this doesn't come out of thin air, but when we look at verse 7, this is exactly where Peter goes. Listen to verse 7 with me. Read along with me. So that, if necessary, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we see is that if necessary, if necessary, God brings these trials into our life to, to bolster our faith, to prove that our faith is genuine, to prove that our faith is real. And why is this important? Do you remember last week? Do you remember last week when we were talking about this inheritance Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through what? Through faith. Through faith. Now, there are two things that I want us to see, two vital facts from this verse that I want us to see as we look at this metaphor um, of our faith in gold. Um, we know in this day and time, and certainly in our day and time, uh, gold is valuable. 
And that's what Peter is talking about, that our faith is more valuable than gold. We also all know that gold is purified by putting it in the fire and burning away or melting away all of the impurities. And there are two things that I want us to see from this text, and I really want it to sink into us, sink into our, our hearts and in our minds. And the first is that our faith is more precious than gold. Gold is pressure, precious. And if faith is valued more than gold, then getting more faith, or our faith being revealed, or our faith being re- refined, would cause us to rejoice. Let me, let me break it down. If I were to say, um, hey, a generous, because I don't have it, a generous donor has given us a million dollars. And this morning, in this envelope, imaginary envelope, I've got a check for a million dollars, and I called your name, and we gave you a million dollars, would you rejoice? Let's be honest, you would rejoice. That's not a trick. What Peter is telling us is that your faith is more valuable than gold. Would we rather have gold or genuine faith? In other words, let's flip it around. And here's the question that challenges me as your pastor. Do you believe that faith adds more value to your life than gold? Do you believe this morning that faith adds more value to your life than gold? When we go through trials and tribulations, if our focus is only on this world and what this world has to offer, we are going to despair because we don't value what the trials are doing. The only thing that we can see is what we might be losing. We've got to learn, brothers and sisters, what this verse tells us, and that is is that gold is perishable. It is not eternal. The only value it has is here. And faith, faith, Faith leads us into an eternity with our Savior. And and so what we see here, what we see is that these trials help prove that we are real and help define and refine our faith because when we go through trials, and uh, when it talks about burning in the New Testament, it, a lot of times it's talking about judgment and it's talking about trials. So when we go through the fire, it burns away all the impurities in our hearts and in our souls. And what we're left with is the truth. What we're left with is where we should be anchoring our lives. In other words, let's play out the doomsday scenario for just a moment. Let's say that um, all of our 
uh, social isolation does not work and that everybody gets the coronavirus and we just see this horrific um, uh, death toll and pandemic and we're, we're just in the fire, we're in the midst of it, and we're just, ugh. One of the things that happens in the life of a believer when we're faced with these things, let's say that we don't get to work and let's say that the markets crash and the finances just go out the window, what happens is that at some point you come face to face with what matters most in your life. And if you are a believer, I believe what happens is that those impurities begin to be uh, melted away and we begin to rely on what is true and what is right and what is good. And then we begin to live in such a way that we are displaying to the world where our true treasure is, which is what the rest of this book is about. And I'm getting ahead of myself, weeks ahead of myself. So let's come back. The second thing, the second thing, first is that our faith is more precious than gold. Secondly, I want you to see the value or the benefit that we see in this text of genuine or or pure faith. Look at at the end of this verse, verse 7. There's an interesting phrase here, and it took me a while to wrap my head around it. So So the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found. So notice this, that our our pure faith, proof of our faith, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so I ask the question, okay, praise, glory, and honor. Who's getting the praise, glory, and honor? Is this one of those things where God is getting the praise and glory and honor because of our pure faith? Or is this something that where we're getting praise, glory, and honor? And you all probably know me well enough by now that if I ask the question, most of the time the answer is what? Yes. So let me show you how I think this works. First of all, the very last phrase that we have in our translation says, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that denotes a time. This, this, this phrasing is throughout the New Testament. It's three times in this letter. And what we're going to see, we'll read those in a second, is it denotes a time. So at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ is revealed to us, and I think this is talking about Judgment Day, then somebody is getting praise, glory, and honor. I want to look at the other times that this same phrase occurs in our letter. The first one is in verse 13 of this chapter. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then notice in verse in chapter 4, verse 13 as well. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Again, it's talking about us receiving things. And so here's how I think this happens. Here's what I think this is talking about. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, when we are there and we have been found faithful, that Christ is going to look at us and He is going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Receive your reward. Which I think not only means heaven, but it means Christ Himself. Now, 
and I believe this with all that's in me, this is going to happen. If there are reporters in heaven, and they have microphones, and they interviewed you, and they were like, huh, how did you do it? This is just this great thing. You've gotten this glory and this great reward. How did you do it? You know what's going to come out of our mouth? Here's what's going to come out of our mouth. It wasn't me. It was Christ in me. Christ in me produced this faith. And and, and He did it. God kept me. I clung to Him and His promises. And as I did that, I realized He was clinging to me. And my faith grew. And I persevered because of the love and the grace of Christ in me. Do you see this beautiful picture that's painted for us? And so what we see, what we see is by going through trials, it proves to us that our faith is real. And if our faith is real, we are going to receive the reward. And the point is this, that we rejoice in these trials. We rejoice because it is proving about the faith that we have. It's proving that this faith will lead to the salvation and the reward that we have. And notice in verse 8, and I don't think he's changing subjects at all. He's talking about faith. And what is faith? And here's what faith is. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. And you greatly rejoice with inexpressible and full, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. A, a simple way of, I don't know if you've ever been asked the question of, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the simple answer, but I think is true, is that you love Him. That you love Jesus. You love Jesus. I love it that Peter says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. In John chapter 20, 29, many of you uh, remember this verse. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. I just have to wonder again if this is in Peter's mind. Knowing that Jesus said this. If this is in Peter's mind when he's writing to these Christians in Asia Minor who have not seen him. And Peter's mind is kind of blown. And he's saying... You love Him and you didn't even see Him. I love Him. I saw Him. But you love Him and you didn't even see Him. This faith thing is incredible. I wonder if Peter was just blown away as he was writing it. Now, I want to pause here because I think something happens when we begin to talk about affections for Jesus. One of the things that happens when we begin to talk about affections for Jesus is that a lot of times what rises up in us, and as I preach a sermon like this or talk like this, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds probably of conversations. I used to counsel a lot of people. These conversations would happen. And the question that people bring into my office is, do I love him enough? You understand what I mean by that? They understand we're supposed to love Jesus, or we're supposed to have faith, and they're wondering where that line is. And if I cross that line, because in their, in their own hearts they may be struggling, or their affections may not be as much as their neighbors, or that may not be um, the perfect pictures that sometimes we as pastors 
paint. Many people come and have shared with me, I don't know if I'm a, I'm a Christian because my love is often cold. Here's what I say. And here's what I believe. We, we talk about the gospel. And I'm talking about these are folks who believe the gospel. Christ died on the cross for their sins. And that if you put your faith and trust in Him, that you are one of His children. People who believe the gospel, right? And they're, they're, they're using this language. I, I, I don't know if, if it's enough. I, I want to love God more, but I, I, I just don't sometimes. I love other things more than I love God. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, if you put my children and we're going to kill them, or, you know, there's these, all these scenarios we play out. What would I choose? And one of the things that I tell people when they struggle with this, and you, as you're hearing this, may be struggling with this as well, is the very fact that this bothers you proves that you're real. If you weren't a Christian, you wouldn't care. It's evidence that you have a desire to follow Him, to love Him more. It's normal in this world, as we are in these broken bodies, with these broken minds, with these broken everything, we're going to struggle to uh, fulfill the command of loving the Lord our God with all our hearts and with all our minds and with all our soul. It's going to be imperfect. But here's the thing that I would say. Don't settle. Don't settle. Go after it. I wish I could um, come up here this morning and tell you that there's this easy formula and give you a book that I have written on if you do these steps, then here's how your love for Jesus will grow. And that doesn't exist. Because Jesus calls us into a relationship to, with Him where we're seeking after Him, where we're looking into His Word, and we're, we're, we're looking into the things of God in order for Him to, to meet us there in that relationship. And so all I can say to you this morning is pursue Him. Pursue Him. So, I want to jump back into our text. Notice as we are moving towards an end. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with inexpressible with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And one of the things that I want to hone in on as we move towards the end is this. What in the world does Paul, Peter, mean by inexpressible joy? I had this really bad metaphor and decided not to use it earlier about loving God and loving cheeseburgers, which would have... But, so I'm not going to use it there. I'm going to use it here. <laughs> so have you, so, you know I like cheeseburgers, good cheeseburgers. So here's the deal. You bite into a really good cheeseburger, and you just, sometimes you just can't express the joy that's going on that's activated with the taste buds. And so I think one of the things that Peter is saying here is that it's inexpressible because it's overwhelming. That this relationship with the Lord, the love we have for Him, the love that He has for us, it leaves us speechless. It leaves us overwhelmed. It leaves our minds blown. 
The other thing that I think it, that, that he means by inexpressible joy is this, is remember the context of the people to whom he was writing. They would have been in among non-believers. In fact, in, in chapter 3, verses 15, it says, always be ready to provide a reason with the hope for the hope that's within you. I think it's inexpressible. One of the reasons it's inexpressible is because non-believers wouldn't understand it. And here's where my metaphor plays out. To you vegetarians and you vegans, you just don't understand. And there's nothing I can do to convince you. Just, just take a bite. In a much more greater, better way. That's where this metaphor falls horribly short. That's why I don't want to compare. I really don't want to compare. However, I needed something. What I want you to understand is that the inexpressible joy that we have in our life will be seen by those who don't love God and are not loved by God. They won't understand. This joy is inexpressible to them because they don't understand the joy that is going on inside of us. The life of a Christian... The life of a Christian is one that is strange to the outside world. Sorrowful, yet what? Always rejoicing. Count it all joy when you experience trials and tribulations. It's weird to the outside world. Now, does this mean that Peter would tell these Christians who are living in this difficult time, don't pray to be released from your trials. No. That's not what Peter would have advised. If they, could have, uh, if they were in a bad situation, and the Lord opened a door for them to be released from that bad situation and for the trials to end, do you think Peter would have said, oh, it's wrong. The genuineness of your faith won't... No, that's not what Peter is saying. So what I don't want you to hear me saying this morning, just as a word of warning, is that if you find yourself in a trial or in a tribulation, what I don't want you to hear me say is that you shouldn't be praying about it. Be praying about it. In our current context, many of you have decided what's best for you and your family is for you to stay home this morning. There is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. We should all be praying that this virus does not hit our city. We should all be praying that we don't experience um, financial hardships and difficulties. But if you do, rejoice. You see what Peter is telling us? I also believe, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I also believe that there is a time... There is a time that we need to be encouraged to shift our mind from the trials and the tribulations that we are going through to the author and perfecter of our faith. We talked about this a little bit last week, and I just want to say it again. That I think this is one of the things that Peter was telling his original audience, and so one of the things that I'm telling some of you is that there may be a time that you need to turn off the news. And I don't say this lightly. 
Because there may be a time that we're so fixated on the trials or potential trials that we're not taking any time to pray. That we're not taking any time to check in on um, people who may be vulnerable around us. That we don't, we're not taking time to really see what is God doing in my heart and in my soul. And so the question that I want us to ask, that Peter is encouraging his readers to ask, when a trial or a tribulation comes, when a trial or tribulation comes, Peter is asking his audience to shift their focus from oh no to what is God doing in me? We can't understand what impurity needs to be melted away if we're not asking the question of God, what are you doing in me? So, this morning, there is reason for us to rejoice. There is reason for us to sing praises to our God and King. There is reason for us to stand and shout from the mountaintops, our God reigns. There is reason for us as a church to spend time not only praying in our own life, God, please, through these um, circumstances, God, please reveal to me what you may have in me that needs to be melted away so that the genuineness and the pureness of my faith can rise to the surface. But there's also reason to pray for the church at large. Damon reminded us this morning as elders, and, and he's right on this. I, in my lifetime, in my lifetime, there's not been anything that's connected, that's touched the whole world all at once. And one of the things that I think that we need to be praying through is this. God, what are you doing in the life of your church? What are you doing in the life of your church? And God, start with me. Mold my heart. Change me. Show me what needs to be purified in me. And God, keep doing it in your church so that we have a platform to rejoice with an inexpressible joy and give the reason for the hope that lies within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are a great God. You have given us Your Son, who came and died on the cross for our sins, and You have promised us that for those who put their faith and hope and trust in You, that we will live forever with You. God, I pray that we cling and hold on to that promise. And God, as we are going, even now, as we experience various trials, God, I pray that we would rejoice with a great and inexpressible joy because we know that these trials are producing in us a faith that is more valuable than gold. God, I pray that we would value our faith more than we would value any treasure of this world. God, cleanse us of that. In your name we pray. Amen.